Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network, part of Underground Sports Philadelphia. You can find all things Underground Sports Philadelphia at Underground PHI. You are listening to Process Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating, and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at Process Potables. For news, Info on breweries we've worked with and more, check out www.processpotables.com. Process Potables is on tap, but first, our friends in the presence of wolves. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Process Potables. I am Dan, joined by Steve, as usual. Trying to get back on track here. We've been working on coming up with content outside of wrestling, which Corey has been holding down very well on the Power Bombs and Potables side of the Podcast Potables Network. So big thanks to our engineer and friend who is now taking over hosting duties of another branch of the brand. But we are back with Process Potables. This is episode 55 we're going to talk to you about J.J. Reddick appearing on a Sixers podcast and The Last Dance, the ESPN 10-part Michael Jordan documentary that the first two chapters aired last night. We're going to talk about all that, some beer, some more. I'm joined by Steve as usual. Steve, how you holding up? How you, how you getting by in these tough times? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Uh, one, finally, we have some basketball to talk about uh but besides that i've just been getting through by uh rediscovering wrestling a little bit i've always had an on and off relationship as i call it throughout the years and this is definitely a good time to kind of get back in that and Corey's uh, been doing a really good job with uh power bombs and potables by the way I, I really really love that logo like that is awesome yeah all new artwork across the network so we now have the podcast potables network we've got pucks and potables going to be hosted by my friend Mason of In the Presence of Wolves, who is the band that does the intro and outro music for this podcast. We have Process Potables keeping it going with the basketball part and Corey holding it down with Power Bombs and Potables, which will feature several rotating guests, a couple of our friends who cover wrestling as well on the side, as well as me and or Steve appearing sometimes. So got the whole network working, really excited, working on some new stuff in the podcast paradise as we speak trying to make it a whole new area for us to work, to be a lot more professional, get a lot more done. So always growing, always working, very excited. But we're going to get into what we want to talk about. We want to talk about, first, I guess we'll talk about J.J. Redick. So if anyone is familiar, there was apparently a back and forth between Spike Eskin and J.J. Redick, where this is the whole reason J.J. Redick got off social media in the first place, and I'm sure he's not really thrilled to be back, but... I think especially with there being no basketball and him trying to promote his podcast, it was probably kind of a necessity in that regard. But the funny part in all of that was now he ends up on the Sixers beat with Derek Bodner and Rich Hoffman, both of the Athletic Philadelphia, who do a great job not only with the Athletic, which me and Steve both subscribe to, have basically... I, you started day one with me, right? Basically, as soon yeah, as pretty much, yeah. was there and it launched. Yeah, so we've been there since day one. Incredible content. And uh, Sixers B is another great Sixers podcast. And obviously with Derek and Rich being, you know, full credential team, you know, beat reporters, they have a lot of access to players and, and guys around the league and have both been doing it for, for some time and do a great job. So it was cool to hear them talk to JJ. I thought it was a very interesting podcast the thing about jj reddick if you've ever listened to the jj reddick podcast which sometimes is very good and sometimes is you know on par with the bill simmons podcast just unbearable like stabbing myself in the ears they're they're bleeding out and my life kind of stuff especially night Shyamalan episodes a very good example of that (laughs) especially whoever that dude tommy jimmy timmy like yeah i I don't know who that guy is or why i'm supposed to care about him or what he's (laughs) doing but like i want to fight that guy in the street i don't know why or if anyone shares that sentiment but that's where i'm at with it but J.J. Reddick's a very smart guy. He's very well-spoken, 
while it seems like every asshole, including us, is trying to get into doing podcasts, I think JJ Reddick actually does a really good job. Oh, yeah. Of both just speaking in general, like doing interviews as a professional basketball player, and then as being a podcast host, for the most part. And Derek and Rich were very well prepared, had a lot of good questions for him. The whole both of them kind of, you know, sucking each other off back and forth about how great they all were was a little off Yeah, they, were, they were jerking off each other's ball, basically. Yeah, they were, they were jerking <laughs> off the balls, and if it comes, it comes, which... Might be the greatest moment in my life of listening to podcasts ever. Like, that was real unexpected. And I had to go into the office today, so I was listening to the rest of it at work. And like no one's in there, so I was just blasting oh, on nice. my phone. Okay. And I lost it, man. Like I really <laughs> needed that today when like on a Monday morning I really would have liked to just stay home and lay on my couch like I do most days, but still had to go in today and uh I, I, I recorded that and, on my screen and sent it to all my friends because we've been saying that line for years. And I was surprised J.J. Reddick's, uh mentioned how it was uh, Chris Weber that said, you know, the guys just get each other off or something along those lines. And I don't ever remember hearing about that or him actually saying that. But because it's Chris Weber, I'm like, yeah, that 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 sounds right. So that was just fun. like for a, uh, a you know a current player who's in this podcasting thing to say that about you know a, a former very well known player in the broadcasting business. Just I usually don't see that kind of stuff. Little light trolling, you know. So. Yeah, and that's I guess that speaks to my point about I think JJ Redick is a worthwhile guy to get on a podcast. Is is a guy that's interesting to hear from, whether you loved him or hated him or, or didn't care. Or whether you do actually, you know, like the way that he presents stuff. I just think that he he's willing to have conversations. He doesn't give you a bunch of status quo bullshit. And they talk about that. He talks about how he respects the beat writers who really pay attention. He understands that it's a grind covering 82 basketball games where, you know, sometimes not a whole lot is happening and sometimes a whole lot is. But, you know, they mentioned, like, J.J. being asked, oh, how do you win the next game? And his answer was, we score more points than the other team. Because, like, that's a stupid fucking question. Yeah. Where if you actually give him a real question that requires real thinking and and you know a, leg- a legitimate response, and he's willing to indulge you and give you that, and and it's generally well thought out and well prepared for the most part. So, although I got to say, I'm kind of surprised I didn't bring. If there's one thing that uh, I always remember about JJ was uh, when the press was coming, in, and, and this was when Markel was on the team, and he was practicing jump shots, and he comes out and he yells at all the reporters like he's 19 fucking years old, like I'm surprised. That would I would have uh, I was hoping to hear about that, but you know that's one of the interesting, that was good. That's one of the interesting things about guys that are doing this while they're still in the league, and that's what I think has to be a weird, oh yeah, a weird line to walk because yeah, I mean you mentioned talking about Chris Webber, and it's like okay, well Chris Webber's out of the league and now he's a broadcaster, so yeah. like he was a player in the league, you know, a very well known, well respected player in the league for for a long part of his career, uh, obviously well known for going to Michigan as well. And that and that team, but I don't know if JJ Redick really had much interaction with him or or how much he knows him outside of that. And again, he's only commenting on on the broadcaster part, which it's pretty universally respected that Chris Weber is fucking garbage at calling yeah. a basketball game. So I don't think he was telling Chris Weber anything he probably hasn't heard or mm-hmm. or really even saying that he he was that bad. I mean, I mean, he said he turned the sound off, so I guess that that's pretty bad. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, whatever. But. Uh, when you mentioned things that we didn't hear about, that that's a great point. That one I didn't think of. The thing that, that I thought about the most was it seemed like he, he was talking about, um, you know, for all the things they asked him about last year, and they kind of asked him about Brett. I don't know if you caught this. There was a part where J.J. was speaking about Brett Brown and, and praising him as a coach, which which I appreciated. Obviously, we're Brett Brown guys. But he was talking about how everything Brett does has purpose. He said, shoot around has purpose. Practice has purpose. Film sessions have purpose. Hmm. Now, did you listen to Jimmy Butler go on J.J. Reddick's podcast? No, I, I didn't listen to that. Jimmy Butler and J.J. Reddick both speak about that alleged incident that was reported from when the team was in Portland that year. And Jimmy apparently blew up at Brett in a film session. And on JJ's podcast, which was, this is only two to three weeks ago, I believe, at this point still, it's pretty fresh, Jimmy Butler talked about how they would just watch film and how, like, nobody was saying anything and it seemed like it served no purpose. 
And J.J. Reddick doesn't combat this at all with him. Hmm. And it's just like, yeah, ha, I agree with you. Yeah, everything you said is fair. Oh, I didn't think it was that bad. So, like, you know, I start this off giving J.J. Reddick credit, but that was the one thing it's been eating at me all day is that J.J. Reddick is, you know, jerking off Jimmy Butler when yeah. he comes on his podcast, but then he comes on Sixers Beat and – He's he's trying to you know lick Brett Brown's asshole. I'm sorry, this is so graphic, but like it's really been bothering. Oh, wait me till we talk about the Jordan documentary. Sure, <laughs> but it, it's been bothering me all day because I there's no chance that Derek and Rich didn't listen to that JJ Reddick podcast, and I really oh, and I had really really thought that that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> Not to try and act like I'm, you know, God's yeah. gift to journalism, but like that just resonated with me. And I don't know if anybody else caught that, but that was my biggest takeaway from this whole thing is it really felt like, you know, if you didn't touch on any of that, then I understand like, oh, you know, JG came on your podcast. You're not trying to kill the guy, but they went down some pretty like serious roads and they were having like legitimate conversations. So I feel like once you start giving that up, which is why a lot of players don't do it. To which I'm giving JJ the credit of having real conversations about this stuff. But if you're going to do all of that, then I think you have to press on. And I don't know if, you know, they just didn't catch in the thing. I'm sure a lot of their questions were were predetermined. And they had like an idea what they wanted to do because a lot of them were well thought out. They weren't yeah. they weren't going off the cuff. They obviously had an idea of how they wanted to steer this. And I'm sure generally you say, you know, we're only going to ask you X amount of questions and it'll only take this amount of time because you're busy and you're you're giving us the courtesy of coming on. But that that was my biggest takeaway. If you haven't so it you know what you should do? which would be interesting. Now you go listen to JJ's yeah. podcast cuz I had I to do it to do that I now. had to do it in a certain order. You do it the other way and see if anything okay, resonates okay, with you idea. if you go the other way. We can talk about that on the next episode which we'll do and also speak about the tanking to the top book and maybe talk about this reliving the ride Allen Iverson book, but man, I got to tell you if if anybody saw us post about it. I read two chapters of it, and it's kind of fucking garbage. Oh man, I'm, I'm really disappointed. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. It, it's pretty low quality. It, it's it's almost like fan fiction, but it's stuff that already happened. Like it's definitely completely biased. It's kissing every player's ass. Like when you have an entire paragraph that is only complimentary of Matt Geiger, hmm. I I've lost all respect. For you. Not even I can do that. Yeah, I know. And apparently, like, the guy who wrote it didn't even start watching basketball until the 96-97 NBA Finals. Was it 96-97? No. 97-98 Finals, which is what is going to be, I assume, toward the end of this Last Dance documentary. So, kind of transitions into that. Unless you have anything else on JJ. Well, the only thing I had on JJ is I kind of had the same takeaway. He always, when you hear JJ speak, he's he's very thoughtful. He's a very good talker. He He's just one of those players. You're like, that guy's destined for broadcasting or whatever he, he wants to do after his career. But the, the interesting thing with JJ, I always get, is he gives you like a nibble, like a nice, you know, here's what really happened. Maybe you guys didn't know this, but then when there's some follow-up questions, then he starts beating around the bush a little bit. And that struck me when when the whole Jimmy Butler thing, and he even said himself, I'm not going to speculate on Jimmy Butler's feelings, but you know, sometimes things just don't work out. And he said Brett, Bra- Brett Brown was not the problem. So it's like, okay, so you dove into it a little bit, but you didn't really go that much into it. Like, you pretty much told us what we already know but well i mean i think i get what you're saying and and i agree to an extent but he's not going to speculate on jimmy because he's not going to speak for jimmy butler and i mean he's probably not going to speak for any other player oh no you're definitely not going to speak for jimmy butler because jimmy butler probably go whoop his ass if we're being completely honest about oh sure And, and i think that they're friends obviously but something that bothers me about the way that he handles those things and maybe this is a little bit more in the realm of what you're talking about. is, And I think this is the nature of him, one, being a podcast host, but I think it was also him trying to just, like, flex that he's a podcast host, which, trust me, never works. <laughs> Nobody's ever impressed. So, like, I gave up on that real quick. And JJ <laughs> might want to learn that, too. But early in the interview, he, he like, was almost kind of shaping his responses in ways to then ask 
Rich and and Derek questions, and it's like you're not here to interview Derek yeah. and Rich, dude. Like, knock it off. Like, and I think it was all the whole like playing nice. They were all complimenting each other and whatever, whatever. Um, he was asking them, you know, how long they've covered the team and this and that. And like, I get it. Like, one, you don't need to build the credibility of the two guys who have this podcast. We all know who they are. They're very well respected in this area and nationally at this point. Uh, very likely. The fact that both of them have covered the team for you know at least five years, if not yeah. longer, it, it just seemed very weird. So, like to to your point, I think that's the way he kind of got out of answering things was turning it around into questions for them that had nothing to do with what they were talking about. So, like that was kind of annoying. But yeah, and the, and the only other thing I took away from that interview is he talks about how before he signed with the Clippers, I think that they were living in Austin, but then they wanted to move to Brooklyn, and then he ended up in L.A. I'm like. Damn, he really is a hipster. Those are like three of like you know the biggest hipsters. Like, if he just only needs to uh, play in Portland, and then he has like the ultimate hipster uh, city. But yeah, I mean, you know, nobody. I don't think anybody was doubting yeah. that, and I think he. I guess he's kind of owning up to that in a way, even though it was all weird that, that and being a podcast. He, he, he was saying all those things, and he was talking. It seemed like he was trying to defend it all, like anyone was ever ripping him for it. I don't yeah. remember anyone ever giving him any crap for like driving from Brooklyn to here. Like I didn't care. Did anybody? Was that a thing that anybody really cared about? No. Like if anything, that was probably that probably really helped uh, the Sixers recruit him. Besides yeah, giving I mean, them, that- besides twenty one million in one year. Right. Um, but I mean, yeah. I mean, he basically says that. So I, I don't really get the whole point of that. The the only thing that I appreciated about that whole thing was even though he tried to walk it back, he basically shit on Milwaukee by saying he loved everywhere yeah, that's he great. loved everywhere he lived and played except except for there basically. And and you know we can support that because we w- went to Milwaukee and it sucked. On the, yeah, like there's I, I told people like there's a stadium, there's one bar, and then cornfields like literally nothing. And I don't even know if that I don't think that place is like an open bar. I think it's like a hall. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think you can just go in and get a beer, probably, unless there's like something going on, and you probably can't just go in. You have to be part of whatever the event is. It's like, yeah, almost like a VFW. I, I would think. Yeah, like way. like a nicer, bigger VFW to relative to what's around. Yeah, so don't here go to is. Milwaukee. It's yeah, don't. Awful. Chicago, yes. But let's move on to the last dance. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 856-904-5636. That's 856-904-5636. And mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. So a lot of people, and rightfully so, throughout, I'd say the last... It probably started, you know, the last 10 years or so. I think before that we didn't hear all that much, but as it's become overly saturated and and the content has fallen off and half the time it seems like they're barely talking about sports anymore. Like ESPN gets ripped for a lot. Yeah. You know, they they basically are a monopoly at this point. Like I don't think that you can compare any other, you know, trying to survive sports that were like an FS1 or anything no. to them. They are they are clearly really the only platform for, for finding, you know, general sports news and coverage that people are going to turn to and and fine. But they didn't have to move this up. This was do you know when this this was scheduled for June, I think, yeah, right? Yeah, June or July, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it it was going to be pretty far out. I'm and I'm assuming it's probably going to be right around or after the NBA that, finals. That's why I think it was Yeah, June. that sounds right. Um so yeah, so and maybe even July. So yeah, sometime that I I think you're exactly right. I think the point would have been to to try to keep a little bit of the post-finals buzz going, give a little bit more basketball window, and then you kind of lead into, like, NFL offseason a little more. Like yeah. That gets you through to players actually reporting to training camp and stuff. So you're, you're kind of covering the year. So it makes sense to me, at least, as far as getting eyes on it, that instead of doing it in the summer when people would possibly be on vacation and whatnot, and especially considering the surge we're probably going to see of people, like, being outside and doing things, hopefully – you know, if we're able to come out of this uh, COVID nineteen situation, maybe around that time, that it, that it makes sense, you know, logistically to move this up to now. But they still didn't have to. So, like, I I do give them credit 
for giving people something to enjoy yeah. right now because people need it. Because all ESPN has been doing is just replays of old games. Like. Right. And that's what I mean. Like, I know it makes sense yeah. for, for them to, like, what else are they putting on right now and everything. But still, like, a lot, like, you know, you could say that about everything. You could say that about video games that are going to come out in a month or two. Like, hey, give them the people now. They can play them. It's not really happening. You know, movies are going straight to digital, but they're still, their release dates are generally their release dates. So. Yeah. First and foremost, I do think that they deserve some credit for getting this to us in a time where we really need something to talk about, to watch, to enjoy, to take our minds off of what's going on. So first and foremost, there's that. As far as what this documentary means to people, I mean, there's obviously going to be there's going to be, you know, the older people that that watched Jordan his whole career. And most of them probably were fans of him and are probably the ones leading the charge of like. MJ's the GOAT, like, there's no discussion between him and LeBron, et cetera, et cetera. For me, and I assume kind of you the same, you, you have a, 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 you know, about a year and a half on me, so I don't know how much earlier you're, like, you know, cognizant of, but, like, my first basketball memories are watching Bulls playoff games and finals games at my dad's oh, yeah. apartment. And, like, I think my earliest memory that I can, like, vividly recall weirdly enough is the ring ceremony of this last season that they're doing the documentary on. I remember watching that opening game at my dad's apartment in Williamstown. And I remember watching, you know, everybody come out. I remember this, like, I remember all of that vividly. That's my earliest, like real memory of like basketball. Like I've obviously, you know, watched things before that now after the fact, but that I watched in real time. And it's like the first thing I remember really watching and like, understanding the greatness of it and all those things. And then what happened was I think like after they won the sixth sports illustrated, you know, every year a team was a title, they put out like the book and the DVD. Oh, or the, oh yeah. The, it was yeah. Like a, I don't know if at that point it was a VHS or a DVD, but I know for the sixth one, I got my mom to order me that sports illustrated package. So I got like a hat and I got like the book and I got like the VHS or the DVD yeah, or whatever was it was. Stuff. So like yeah. that, like, cause like at the, you know, at, at that age, I think I was nine or 10 uh, eight, nine, or ten, something. My math is bad. I wasn't going to stay up and watch a lot of basketball. So, like, I caught games when I could that season. And obviously, I watched, like, the playoffs and the finals and then watched, you know, Jordan hit the shot over Russell and everything. But, you know, like, getting that Sports Illustrated thing the next year was the way that I really got to, like, understand and pay attention to that season. And then the next season is the lockout. And then the following season is where, like, I really got to start watching basketball. I got a TV in my room, was able to start watching AI and and all stuff. And obviously Jordan went away, you know, for that that lockout season. And then, you know, comes back as a wizard, whatever, whatever. But so I don't know if you want to talk about, you know, how how that Bulls team and, and stuff shaped, like, your NBA fan growing up or whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Michael Jordan was was it, man. He he. If Jordan wasn't there, I like I may not have be the big basketball fan that I am today. I was really excited about this documentary because while I remember watching Jordan and everything that 97-98 season, I was 10 years old, 10 or 11 years old, so I remember watching him, but I don't remember everything because that's so long ago and you're a kid and of course the things that happen off the court that you may hear on the radio or TV just didn't resonate doesn't really resonate with you at that age so I was really looking forward to it because besides that um Space Jam probably at some before I don't know exactly when was also the other thing Space like, Jam was what 95 I think so like I think it was in the time it was either like yeah. right around when he came back or like even might have been filmed while he was out yeah I think it came out the summer after his the first year of his second stint. Okay. Yeah, and I had a birthday party at the Harwin where we I all watched that. that. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, but it was really exciting to me. So, I was just looking forward to like, okay, as an adult, I could absorb it and think about this information. And I like, for example, one of the things, I think it was Michael Wilbon. He said, all of us, you know, that were working at Chicago at the time, writing and reporting on his team, we knew um, the team was coming back. There was no question about that. But everyone in the national media just, you know, kept throwing out that, oh, are they coming back? Are they going for number? And I just thought, I'm like, oh, so they kind of, there's, there's kind of that like local versus national narrative, like, oh, that's always kind of existed and doesn't always happen I, in Philadelphia. I, I, I thought the same thing. Yeah. I think that's a really great point. Is that I think we always, 
I, I know this is probably a Philadelphia thing and, you know, whether it exists in other cities too and we just don't hear about it as much, but we always think that, like, all these things only happen to us yeah. and the narratives are always different and, you know, for both of us only living in, in this market for our entire lives, you know, we, we haven't seen anything else and I think a lot of times we even get angry when someone from somewhere else tries to tell us, like, yo, really, yeah. like, you're not that special, like, this is happening everywhere, but... I think the thing that we take into, well, maybe we don't take in the perspective and it's a nature of like our losing history, especially during our lifetimes. Cause you know, what, do, what do we have? Two titles yeah, in our that's thir- 32 years of being on this. Yeah. Oh, eight fills and the, yeah. Eagles on the Eagles. So, uh, we're, we, we haven't been talked about nationally all that much. So it happens so few and far between. And then it only happens when, the team is good, which means that we're invested and we care about them, and then we get upset because we care. Whereas, right. like, if the if there's a different narrative between the local and national media when the team was bad and we didn't care, then we're never complaining about it. Right. We're never giving them shit for it. But I, I thought about that too. I thought that that was very interesting that that Wilbon said we all knew this was happening. Like there wasn't any question. But and and it's like, man, even back then, like the national media is just trying to find shit to talk about. Yeah, and and they're and they're drawing conclusions that aren't really there. But in watching these first two episodes, which the first one was clearly just like a little bit of Michael Jordan history for those that don't know all the facts, right? And then the second one really seemed to focus on Scottie Pippen a little bit more. Yeah, it was a Scottie Pippen slash Michael Jordan got cut from his high school team uh, yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> did you? Okay, so you did you hear the story about that? I don't think so. So I saw somebody said today that, uh, so I think it was what they said that his like sophomore, his sophomore year, he didn't year. make the varsity team and right. he got cut. Yeah. Well, apparently that's what Jordan has told people his entire life, but he didn't get cut. He just didn't make varsity. He played on like junior varsity or uh, okay. whatever. I kind of had and that, that coach has okay. apparently his whole life gotten like death threats and been like threatened oh and like has just gotten scrutinized. And I think, that coach like died last year or something, which which is crazy. And also, like people were talking about one of the big narratives of this that like I wasn't all that familiar with, even though I knew just from like everything I'd ever read and heard that like Jerry Krause sucked ass. <laughs> was I just didn't realize how much of a weasel this guy is. Like he's yeah. like a video game villain. Like he's this fat, greasy guy that you're born to hate. That is pompous and arrogant, and like you know has the little man syndrome where he want like it's it's you can't make this shit up. But I had no idea that like it was that bad. Right. And people were saying too that like I think he just died within the last two years. He died a year or two. And ago. they were like, "Do you think they were waiting till he died to air this because he There's is just made to look fucking awful and like not for nothing?" I know that like it, you know in this era, like you know we try to we try to uh, sway people away from bullying and whatnot, but mm-hmm. like. Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen just making fun of him all the time was just like comical. It was hilarious. Like, like, <laughs> all right, so you're gonna come out and do layups with us? We're have to lower the nets. Oh, I have a lot to add there. So, all right, let me preface this. I myself am a very thick boy, so I'm allowed to make fun of people for being fat. And the funny thing is, making fun of people for being fat. There's always it's the one thing where. If you're a nice, if you know, if you're a really nice person, down to earth person, no one should make fun of you for being fat. That doesn't matter. But one thing you learn as such, ha- you know, when you have people like Chris Christie being your governor and being this this obnoxious, pompous person, that goes out the window. You're you're going to hear all the fat jokes, and there's just one. Th- I don't know why, but. I think towards the beginning of the first episode, he's making his way through the hallway to the United Center, and he just has this fat fuck waddle where he looks like he's just – he walks as if he's always chafing, you know, like <laughs> – Well, I mean, probably is. Yeah, exactly. And, like you know, his, his groin probably never had clear skin. It's just one, like, bubbling – really gross oh, like so, and just oh, the God. way he was walking and he, he just has that like you know he almost looked like like had that vince Mc, mcmahon strut but just like you're like all right no one likes this guy and then for some reason he reminded me of wayne knight or who you know as newman his character from space jam because he's that guy who no one can stand anytime he he's around people just can't 
like they can't wait for the moment till this guy goes away. But then I thought, I'm like, no, you know what? Maybe, and I don't know if Michael Jordan had any kind of creative control in Space Jam, but I'm like, holy shit. Sure he did. Yeah, but like Danny DeVito's, I don't remember name, but Danny DeVito's character, the the boss of the Monstars, short, arrogant asshole who just, I'm like, I wonder if that's him. Oh, shit. Like, I was like, holy shit. Like, I wow. just. Wow. Yeah, so I, I just, and it's just crazy because I even knew at that age, watching this Bulls team, Scottie Pippen wasn't only the second best player on the Bulls. A lot of times he was the second best player in the league. And for this guy to just really underpay him, and he just, he didn't care about Scotty. He told Phil Jackson, this is it. This is your last year. And I'm just like. All right, you're running through a lot of things I yeah. think you want to talk about. So but the Space Jam thing is is crazy. Yeah. That That's the smartest thing <laughs> I think I may have ever heard you come up with. I'm very impressed with you. And it all started with a fat joke. Tons two, of them. Two things I want to say before we hit on a bunch of things you talked about. One, the difference between the Vince McMahon walk and this guy's walk is Vince walks that way because his dick is so big. <laughs> and this guy walks that way because he's always chafing. Yeah. And two, if you listened to the bonus episode of Power Bombs and Potables, then you probably heard us talk about the Final Fantasy VII remake as me and you, favorite video game of all time, Final Fantasy VII. I'm almost about to beat the remake. I let you try it. You're not like a new video game guy, yeah. but you know, had had to get you on the sticks a little bit for this one. Do you remember Palmer? Okay, yeah, he's a fat guy. Okay, the, yeah, he's, he's part of Midgar's. Uh, I forget what his title is, but right, I don't think he's like. I think he's like the assistant to the president or something. Right, right. That's that's Jerry Krause. Yes, this fat little grease ball. That that you hate just by seeing him, you know what kind right. of person he is. Like that, that that's what stuck to me for anybody. That and we all that grew reference. up, whether it's a movie or we all grew up with a guy like that. It's just P- like, people are gonna recognize yeah. the Wayne Knight one a lot more. So that that Probably. was very that was very yeah. apt as well. Um, but for anybody that that is following this for Final Fantasy VII references, there you go. <laughs> So the Scottie Pippen thing is next to me. I have always, so, you know, we both, I know you talked about us doing the LeBron MJ thing, and we'll probably have to get there, but I think we should do it at the end if we even do it. It's such a tired argument, and I have yeah. a feeling that we're, we, we both already agree, and this documentary is probably only going to further push us in the direction we already are, if it already hasn't, but... I was always a huge Scottie Pippen fan as well and agree that like I didn't really know if the consensus then was that he was ever rated that highly but I think history has served him very Absolutely. well like he has aged very well in retrospective especially when you see how the game has evolved and how players are today and you realize that like he was ahead of his time yeah. and he was still that good but like he would probably be even better in the league today because they value that so much more like, and it's needed where back then it really wasn't like he could have been Kevin Durant. Yeah. Close to it. I mean, like, I, like, he doesn't have his size and not as well of a shooter, but close. Like, like I think, a lo- I think a lot of Ben Simmons. Yeah. Um, but obviously he was a better shooter. Point four. But, yeah. but you know, that point forward style, uh, I mean, you know, Durant might be the best scorer of all time. So I don't know if I'm willing to put Pip in there, but like Sean Kemp comes to mind as well. Um, you know, just freakish size and speed um, that can do some of everything. So, you know, a, a lot of guys end up fitting that mold later down the line. And at the time, Pippen really, even for the people that did appreciate him, did not seem to to really understand that he was like the next generation of of NBA athlete. I knew that there were contract issues with him. I knew he was underpaid. I did not know the contract until I watched this. Seven years, eighteen million. Like even back then. So, I mean, when you say back then, it depends on what you're talking about. Because when he signed it, it wasn't that low. The problem is that the revenue drastically changed within like right. two years of him signing it. And then, yeah, like I believe I saw somebody say today on Twitter, and and I wish I remembered. I, you know, I I didn't really plan on what we were going to talk about. So I, you know, if if somebody knows who said this. Uh, I will happily retweet it or, or quote tweet it or whatever, but that like a year or two later, Larry Johnson signed like 
a five-year, $80, $90 million oh, dollar deal or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, Larry Johnson was very good, very talented, yeah. and and kind of a lot like Pippen too, like like in that mold, but not nearly as as uh, well rounded and as uh, like finesse, right. I would say. But and I think Allen Houston got a contract like that a year or two later. And yeah, Allen like, Houston's not anywhere near Scottie Pippen. No, no, but, no, no, no. But, but yeah, yeah, but I mean, the problem is, is that I, I I guess it was like a new TV deal or something happened, and and the revenue started going going up, and obviously that means everybody gets paid. I mean, we've seen those spikes. At other times throughout the last, you know, twenty years as well. But the problem is, is that you know, like Michael Jordan also signed like undervalued deals, and the team took care of him, whereas they didn't do that with Scotty. And there seems to be a pretty big divide on this, for what I saw online between the whole, well, you signed the contract, so you got to honor it, yeah, and you know, do right by your players. And it's like, okay, well, like it's a business, but yeah, I mean, this was kind of criminal. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, that was one of the things that people were praising Jerry Krause for was, you know, ran it like a business, didn't, didn't, you know, have like emotional ties to the stuff or whatever. And even at the end when they're, you know, preparing the three-peat was ready to blow the whole thing up, just understanding that this couldn't sustain. And, you know, now it's like, that's, that's crazy. Like we talk about the Eagles over the last 20 years. Yeah. Holding on the guys too long, try, trying to do right by these guys, and and in a lot of ways, you know, the play, like we appreciate as a city because we love the guys that have been here for so long. The guys like you know a Jason Peters and a, and a Brent Selleck and people of that nature. But we've seen it, it bite us, and we complain about the opposite. And then people are online screaming that they should have paid Scottie Pippen more when he signed a contract and and had to play it out. So I get both sides of it. I mean. Yeah. Scotty basically admits he's like, listen, I couldn't afford to to risk getting injured. I needed to secure, you know, myself. So it's not like Scotty Pippen sitting there going, oh, like I got duped. I didn't understand. Like he knew what he was doing. Oh yeah, he made that pretty clear. And I think that's the part that kind of sways me in the direction. Even though, again, like I was was and am a huge Pippen fan, that. I kind of think I lean to the bull side there. It's like number one, you you have to pay Michael Jordan whatever he wants because he's the best player ever. Oh yeah. So like you're already. It's not like you had a team where it's like okay, like Scotty's easily our best player. He's making two million dollars a year. Yeah, we're gonna give him a raise. Like when the Sixers had a ridiculous amount of cap space left over, they made sure to get Robert Covington paid. Yeah. Like there are times where it is it is proper to do so and there are times when it is not. And when you have to play Michael Jordan like, you know, thirty eight million in a year and you're paying Dennis Rodman money and you're paying like Luke Longley money and Steve Kerr money and and all these guys and Tony Ku coach money, then yeah, I mean maybe you don't have the money to, to give Pippin more. And if that's the case, then then that's the case. Yeah. And and he signed the deal and, and he even wanted the security uh, and he got it. Yeah, and even uh, in the document Reisendorf, is that the owner's name? Yeah. Jerry something, whatever. He even said his whole thing is, hey, once you sign that contract, I don't want to hear about it again. I think the only thing was it's just, as we said, Krauss was just, that guy was just such a conniving, evil, like, dickhead. And you know, I guess that's where the, like, but, one thing people always bring up, like, with the Eagles is that, you know, we let Dawkins go too early. But even then, they're still like, hey, we're going to move on. There were still – it didn't end in the, you know it didn't um end in bad terms like there's still like the respect I guess mm. or like sure there's bitterness because well, he didn't get his money he wanted well, but but there was you know obviously he came back to the team and all was forgotten whereas with Krause it just seemed like that that was a bridge that was burned and well here's here's what I what I take from that that I don't know if this is what you're trying to get to that that I would say I think. The, the picture they paint of Jerry Krause, and not that I have any issue with how they did that, but that's what makes it easier to feel for Pippen and want to be on that side. Right. Whereas, like, if Phil Jackson was the one saying all this to you, let's say, like, Phil Jackson had been coach and, like, GM that whole time. Right. And Phil Jackson's the one saying, like, listen, like, you know, we wanted to pay Scotty, but we were up against the the cap because we were paying Michael Jordan so much money and he's not this guy that you absolutely fucking hate most likely. And he doesn't talk to you like a, like a little weasel. Then maybe you understand it more. I think it's a lot easier to be mad at that whole situation when you're hearing about it, that it's all on Jerry Krause. And I think that seems like that's kind of what this whole thing was trying to do. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. The Phil Jackson thing is interesting as well, which you, which you brought up, which I was I, like, I had no idea that that whole season it was made like clear that he was a lame duck coach. Yeah, that, I, like, I just he, thought like all of their, I'm like, oh, all of their contracts just happened to run out the same uh, year. No, that was not the case. But even like, it's not like they, you know, they didn't really put that title on any player. But they put it on Phil. They literally had the next coach in the building. Yeah. The GM told him, like, you will not be back. I don't care if you go 82-0 and and win the championship. Yeah. Like, that's insane. You have a coach that won five of the last seven and is going for six of eight. Yeah. And you gave him a one-year $6 million deal. And you're literally saying to him, I don't care what you do. You're not coming back. I'm getting this guy who I have no idea what the fuck he's going to do. And Tim Floyd fucking sucked. sucked. Dude, yeah, he he was bad. He's one of the worst coaches I can ever remember. Yeah. Like, he fucking sucked. It's and, hard to think of, like, guys outside of your own, you know, sports city that, like, are that bad of a coach. And Tim Floyd might be the first name off my lips if you're like who was an awful nba coach yeah i don't think that guy was ready and you know come following in the uh, footsteps of phil jackson just isn't right anybody's probably fucked like i'm sure the guy who coaches the patriots after bill belichick is going to also be tim floyd or you know the the, uh equivalent to that yeah but possibly yeah but i didn't get that man like he wasn't like this hot young college coach like like it was like oh Tim Floyd from Iowa State I'm like oh, yeah okay. I, I I have no idea but to the point of all the contracts seeming like they're about to run out and the the um, Jerry Krause is the enemy and Phil Jackson you know very well titling their season to all the players as the last dance like how much more. Do you think that adds to the greatness that this already was, those circumstances? Because to me, it's like, I don't believe much in destiny and sports or that a lot of these narratives really, in the end, matter all that much. But things like that are are crazy to me and can't be coincidental. Right. Like, that makes the whole thing, like, it, it just puts such, like, no other story ends with a bow like that to me. No, absolutely not. And it's and one of like the greatest sports story. It's one of the greatest life stories that like I can honestly think of. That like yeah. it all kind of like as messy as it all is, and I'm sure we're gonna find out even more over the next four weeks how messy it ultimately was. I'm pretty sure the next episode is gonna be the Rodman episode, so that's oh, gonna yeah. be a hell of a trip. But as messy as all this was behind the scenes, which is what's all going to happen now. When you just look at the, at the grand picture in the history books, like this is, this is storybook. This is the irony that this is on Disney is that this is a fairy. This is a (laughs) a fairy tale ending in, in the big picture in just the, the, the results and the story up to it. And it's crazy. I think what people either fail to understand or don't want to understand is that it is it is so incredibly difficult to win championship after championship like we we saw that with the Eagles had a lot of the same players and we just couldn't reproduce and a lot of teams they win the title they ride that high for way too long and then it's just you know things kind of stagnate a little bit where that's where like the the intelligence and the brilliance of Phil Jackson comes in like he kept them motivated and for all we know, some of this Jerry Krause stuff could be maybe a little bit blown out of proportion, but I'm sure at the same time, Phil Jackson leveraged that to get his, you know, kind of rally them as a, you know, us versus them. Well, that's the whole last dance thing. It's like, yeah, this, is, and this is the end. Like, give it everything you have. And even Jordan said, I'm not playing for anyone other than Phil Jackson. And if Phil Jackson's not there, Michael Jordan's not there. And Michael Jordan's not there. Well, half the guys aren't there, so... They they knew this this was it this was the last ride and I I think that's what you know like you said I, I a lot of these you know storybook things are kind of silly and whatever but this this definitely is true. It's been interesting to me that a lot of the things that I had heard in leading up to this series was that 
Well, I found this comical, to be honest, and I, I think you might agree with me, that it seemed like a lot of people were writing stories previewing this and saying, like, this is going to reveal some, you know, dark things about Michael Jordan. It may tarnish his legacy a bit. And I was like, did did everybody think Michael Jordan was some fucking saint until this happened? Like, I knew this guy was a gambling asshole, mean, yeah. like, cutthroat guy that wants to win. Like, what are you going to tell me that... That that makes that any worse? Like unless unless he buried a bunch of hookers that I, I don't know about. Yeah, right. I I think probably the generation or guys that are younger than us or people that watch basketball that this all happened pre social media and whether people want to admit it or not, I just think younger audiences are going to have a hard time maybe believing or just capturing these things because there's not a live Twitter feed out there that followed these things or Facebook or, you know, YouTube videos or, or whatever. I, I think that has a big part of it. And maybe there's been revisionist history along the way where he's so great that maybe, you know, the gambling things, the whole murder with his dad to playing baseball, like a lot of those stories just didn't really stick around. Whereas, LeBron's legacy we're going to hear about the whole um decision thing forever whereas you know Michael Jordan played two years with the Wizards and people are like yeah whatever that that was just for fun. like like no like if that happened in today's time boy people definitely paint well, a different well, picture more than the it. Wizards thing the baseball thing oh yeah do you think they're gonna do you think they're gonna go into that like in detail or do you think we've we've seen enough I, shit about because that? I know ESPN uh was it called the ride or the bus ride they they did a documentary on the 30 for 30 yeah was it a 30 for 30 yeah. okay so I, I don't think um one thing I, I am kind of waiting to see was when we uh watched it last night and they had rod thorne i'm like oh i'm like i swear to fucking god if doug collins is the next person that comes up i'm turning it off and Thankfully, he didn't come right after Rod Thorne, but I'm sure it'll get to Doug Collins at, at some point or at least. I hope uh, not. But yeah, that was one of the few things I kind of. So any up. any other any other highs, any other lows from this? Um, dude, the fact that right away we already got Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. That's great. Was was crazy to me. Uh, I don't know if you saw this tweet of mine, but I was really happy with this, and and I thought that it it was very apt. That I don't I, I feel like maybe I haven't seen enough like interviews or, or clips or, or anything of Phil Jackson from his time with the Bulls. And maybe like I just didn't get the same sense of this when he was with the Lakers or even when he was like whatever the hell he was doing with the Knicks at one point. But like I anytime that it was just like a like a candid shot with him mm -hmm. speaking to the camera, like all I could see was Walter White. <laughs> and, I see it, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, I, and I really bit. like, I like, I put out there, I'm like, how much Phil Jackson do you think Brian Cranston watched preparing for that role? Because I Maybe. feel like that's the closest thing I've seen to it in anything. Is I just felt like the delivery, like the tone, um, you know, the the way he paces his speaking, like I felt like that was the closest thing I've seen to what you would have drawn the creativity for the Walter White character from. The other thing, so the first episode when they talk when they're doing Jordan, they they're obviously uh, highlighting his UNC career, and it's funny when we talk about to me when we talk about LeBron versus Jordan, we talk about six and zero versus three and six, and the people that will defend LeBron James will say, oh well, you know Jordan only made it six times. You say he's six and zero, but there's all these years he lost in the playoffs and and whatever whatever, which like okay maybe, but. You know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I, I get that that's, you know, a hill they have to kind of die on. But, yeah. Like, then people don't even realize he hit this amazing game-winning shot in college when the yeah. a, a college national championship as well, man. Like, and, this guy and, won it. And, dude, ba back then, college basketball is way better than it is now. Guys, like, you had to play and at least three years. Too. They, they talked oh, about yeah. They talked about that championship game being played. I forget where they said they played it. I think they played it in, like, California or something. They played in, like, a 70,000-seat stadium or something. It was, like, the, the, the highest attendance yeah. for a basketball game to that point in, in history. Like, yeah. the stakes weren't any bigger than that. I just <laughs> – what I enjoyed about that was uh, – Jordan playing uh, Patrick Ewing's uh, Georgetown, 
and Jordan obviously go, you know, him and the Tar Heels go on to win. And then next they interview uh, Patrick Ewan, just seeing him sitting there with his Georgetown polo, but then like the Air Jordan logo on the other side. I'm like, oh yeah, he's MJ's bitch. Like that's just <laughs> what I. <laughs> that's yeah. Any anytime we get the shit on Patrick Ewing, I'm pretty happy with yeah. it. Um, he did not make an important jo- jump shot to win the game. No. <laughs> and uh, and man, watching watching Jordan go after that Celtics team. Yeah. With with Bird, Dennis Johnson, Danny Ainge, Kevin McHale. Like that's like four or five Hall of Famers right there, and they just couldn't. I mean, they won the game, but right. they just that that was the that was the funniest part was I yeah. felt like it was so. I know this is a Michael Jordan documentary, but like, okay, so like the first time they're showing, I'm like, okay, but like, there's probably no way they won that game, right? And they lose the game, yeah. and then they're like, but wait for the second game. I'm like, okay, Jordan's got to get him in the second game. It's like they still fucking lose. I'm like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was that like was it funny. was just like I know you're you're doing this to highlight Jordan, but it was just kind of funny to, that that they really spent a lot of time on each of those games, and he lost them both. Yeah, I did enjoy that because uh, another really good documentary that came out, uh, this is probably like five or six years ago now, the NBA, I think it was the NBA TV one where they did the 92 Dream Team. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that I always remember was uh, th- they talk about the the greatest game that no one ever saw. They were playing five on five and it was just competitive. And then uh, Jordan walks in the locker room and he's like, yeah, there's a new sheriff in town. He says that to both Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. And they're like, well, yep, I, I guess he's right. So I guess that, that kind of even more uh, solidified it for me. He, he had like that hard fault played series against Larry Bird and the Celtics and, you know, he just uh, – he eventually overcame it, man. So what do you think uh, – like, so just through two episodes, like, who do you think – like, if you had, like, power rank the people we've seen, like, who do you think climbed up the charts the most from what we saw in two episodes, and who do you think, you know, lost the most rank? As far as, like, I guess just, like, you know, public opinion, general perspective, uh, like, to to give you mine if, if it helps, so, like – I think Phil Jackson of everybody got painted in the best light from these first two episodes. I don't think there's really anything to, to say negatively about him. And I think of anything, it proved that like, you know, you, you see so many coaches who get in that lame duck situation, just like kind of crap the bed or not want to do it or make a big deal about it. And Phil Jackson uses it as motivation and goes on the win. We obviously know already that he goes on and wins a six championship in eight years and and a second three peat. And, the the way every single player talked about him, like you would think a guy that polarizing and and who who has the resume that he has, that there'd be people out there who'd be like, oh, fuck that guy, like I hated him. And granted, like I'm sure those people exist. Oh yeah. But like it's not like the only person we heard from, and this was Michael Jordan saying like you know I won't play for anybody. Like every single person was was praising Phil Jackson the way that he controls the locker room, the oh, way yeah. that he keeps everybody focused. And I mean the 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 wins and losses speak for themselves as far as the coaching acumen. But and not only again we have the the knowledge of of what else happens. It's not like he was only able to do that with Michael Jordan. He then goes onto the Lakers and manages a locker room of Shaq and Kobe and and everybody else that's there and yeah. w- and wins what three more championships or, or more. There at least the three P. Right, I think he was there for. So I mean, like it's it's insane when we talk about you know the modern day, like you know, like how many coaches do we believe can control a locker room full of that many stars? And Phil Jackson did it with two different franchises, with you know, arguably three of like the top, you know, maybe ten, fifteen greatest. I mean, you know. Sh- Michael Jordan and Kobe are, are, are top five. Oh, Many yeah. would say top three, top two. Um, and, and he had to – granted, he had both of them playing to to his success yeah, credit, absolutely. but you have to but, manage those egos and personalities. Yeah. And and I think you have to say that I, I don't think there's a coach in NBA history that, that you can prove to me did that better because while you could probably argue to me that, like, Greg Popovich is a better coach or is the second-best coach, however you want to draw that line – He's generally never had, you know, he, he, he brings in the players he wants. He doesn't have right. ego players. He's had, you know, the the fortune of playing with a lot of very mild-tempered 
and some of the most like respected like human players. Yeah, like Tim Duncan, ever. Man, like David he's... Robinson and Tim Duncan both, and then early Kawhi before he kind of yeah, I mean, and he got rid of them. Like, well, true, yeah. So, so yeah. Whereas Phil Jackson just wasn't, and dude, like <laughs> Dennis Rodman was on that team. He yeah. was on the Bad Boy Pistons. He just and, and yeah, like he you know did a lot of crazy shit with the Bulls, but. I'm sure he, to an extent, you know, was able to, you know, hold him back a little bit, just enough to keep him in the game and not totally go off the rails. But yeah, do you have do you have any anything different for you know people rising or falling from from two episodes? I I kind of want to see how this progresses. Yeah, the, each week. If any, I kind of have uh, mixed feelings about Scottie Pippen a little bit, only because. Imp- the fact that he delayed surgery because of the whole contract, I'm like, oh man, like, like I don't like I don't know how well that sits with me. And even Jordan said he's, you know, you get the surgery, so you get through the summer, so you're ready through the season. And Jordan seemed to be kind of pissed off about it. And he that that season they really had a hard time coming out the gate without Pippen. So I'm like, oh man, like like I, I understand his side, what he wants to do for himself and financially, but. Man, that 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 really hurt the team for a little bit there. So any uh, any other any other teams in NBA history come to mind that were you know very dominant at home but couldn't get a win on the road? Hmm, sounds ring very a, familiar. Ring a yeah. ring a bell at all? Maybe. Yeah, maybe another uh, player who was also drafted number three overall. Oh, maybe. Yeah. But so I'm pretty sure the third episode will be Rodman. I don't know what we'll get for the fourth one. Maybe that's more of a Phil Jackson episode if he's going to get one as well because that would be the. The, the the chain of events I would see is you get the, the three players and then you get the coach, but I don't know. Maybe then they just start progressing through the season. So we got the first two episodes last night. It's going to be two episodes every Sunday at 9 and 10 p.m. It's a five-week total, so we just had the first one. So four more weeks coming up. We'll talk about them each time that they air and, and our thoughts and everything. Before we go, Steve, a, a, any final thoughts on, on the first two episodes of the series? Yeah, was a Corvette really the best car to drive in, you know, 1997, 1998? I think that was kind of right before people probably started bringing in a lot of imports. Yeah, either that or maybe he was sponsored by them. Uh, I don't know. But I don't, I, I don't cars know. Cars generally really like sponsors. Yeah, like I don't that. know. But I just, I was like, wait, I mean, like Corvettes are cool, but. I also like, feel like that that's got to be like a very North Carolina thing. Like I feel maybe, like yeah. I feel like everybody down there probably drives their Corvette to the beach. Yeah, and they probably that's have true. fucking like parades or something stupid like that. Yeah. Whereas like up here it'd be a bunch of like Jeep Wranglers and Miatas yeah. or like something. like even back then like even the richest you know guys athletes celebrities. I mean back like, then Vince McMahon drove a Corvette too. And then that's true. Stone Cold filled it full of cement. Oh, I, I guess it's just funny. Like back then that was like the status vehicle. Where now it's like an Audi or maybe even a Tesla or whatever. But that's just like oh a Corvette. Okay. Like, yeah, I, I guess you know maybe they didn't have a bunch of you know uh, Bentleys and Rolls Royces as much back then. Yeah. Which now it seems is is, is the thing to get. So, yeah, uh, I've got nothing else. Uh, appreciate everybody for tuning in. We will try and keep the content a little more regular. We at least have the last dance stuff and, and anything else that pops up. Once me and Steve both get through these two books, we'll definitely talk about them as well. Uh, I mean, we went pretty long on the last dance, so I don't, I don't think we'll mix that. So we'll probably break the, the book conversation off to just whenever we get around to that, and we'll keep the last dance episodes flowing on either Sunday nights or Mondays and get them out, you know, pretty, pretty soon after the release of the episode. So at least we have this to enjoy. Make sure you stay safe, stay inside, stay quarantined. Uh, today was like, there was all these like rallies and protests of a bunch of stupid idiots yeah. going out and protesting, having to stay in their house. Literally, like, I saw one of the videos and the first thing, a guy held up a sign saying, I haven't been able to golf in six weeks. Open a PA courses. I'm like, this is we're heading towards idiocracy. Like, this is why. Like, it's yeah, going I think, to be I a think, lot longer. I think we might be there. Yeah. I don't. I don't really want to get in the politics, no. obviously. But like, come on, just stay safe. Just don't be dicks. Be courteous and and, and suck it up. I think. wash your hands. Wash your hands. Cover your face. Eat your vitamins. Say your prayers. For Steve, I'm Dan. Thank you for listening to the Process Potables. Make sure you give us that five-star rating. 
write a review on Apple Podcasts. We are 11 away from 100. It is driving me crazy. I just want to get there and never have to talk about it again. <laughs> Maybe we have to come up with something that we do if we get to 100. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll brainstorm that. If you're not checking out the Power Bombs and Potables podcast, please make sure to do so. Uh, shout out to... Shout out to the homies, Underground Sports Philadelphia. They have been keeping the content flowing. You can find all things Underground Sports Philadelphia on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. Shout out Design Tree. They have been, uh, them and their parent company, Rush Order Tees, have been, I believe, making masks for, you know, hospitals and first responders and stuff, which is awesome. And I've also been working with uh, the Philly Pledge and stuff, the the Ben Simmons uh, charity that that is helping through this uh quarantine period and stuff so shout out to them and of course our sponsor the andrew boss team at berkshire hathaway uh thanks everybody cheers and trust the podcast